Hello, thank you for downloading this week's Show Us Your Kit episode, uh, episode number 22. Now, I've just recently finished the this block of episodes, uh, which has taken me from sort of episode 18 uh, to episode 27, I think I've just finished. So around about 10 episodes I've done in uh, from sort of the end of December to the end of January. I'm going to have a little bit of a break now, but that's not going to be a break for you lot. There's going to be an episode now every Monday until the 1st of March, definitely. Uh, but I'm giving myself a couple of weeks break and thinking about perhaps freshening up the format a little bit or, and then obviously organising new guests as well. Uh, but so far, I think we've got 14 of the 92 clubs represented in the Show Us Your Kit podcast series, which I'm really pleased about. Um, and, you know, you can now check us out on Twitter at Show Us Your Kit 1. And we've got a Facebook page as well, Show Us Your Kit, if you search for it. And uh, you can send us messages on there or, you know, send us pictures of your kits on Twitter as well. And then, of course, you can email us, uh, showusyourkitpod at gmail.com. And I will definitely read your emails and correspondence and reply to them and perhaps read them out on the show as well. That'd be great. Uh, but if you are listening on iTunes or Acast, I would really, really appreciate it if you could uh, rate the podcast five stars, preferably, but I mean, you'll be free to choose. Um, and then leave a review as well. Uh, it really helps the podcast to grow and, you know, sharing it as well, of course. But all I want to know from you lot as well is, what you think about the podcast. Are you enjoying it? Is there anything that I could do differently uh, or any suggestions for guests? Then get in touch with me uh, on the on the different platforms that I've just mentioned. Um, and hopefully you can you know, have a bit of an influence on the podcast. Uh, so this week's episode is Derby County and they're represented by Corey and Jason from the Rams Review podcast. Uh, one's from America, believe it or not, and one's from Derby. And they tell us all about the ups and downs of supporting Derby County of the last over the last twenty years or so, uh, and we do talk about the two playoff finals that um, involved our local rivals in two thousand and seven and two thousand and nineteen. Uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy this episode, and you'll follow us on Twitter and on Facebook now. And uh, yes, I will see you all next week. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 22 of Show Us Your Kit. Uh, I'm joined today by two fans uh, for the first time, uh, both Derby fans from the Rams Review podcast. We've got Corey, just south of uh, Washington, D.C., and Jason, who... Uh, from his accent, I believe, near Derby, I suppose. Uh, how are you doing, boys? Tell us about where you, your podcast and where we can find you. Yeah, um, yeah, I am from Derby. Yeah, not not too far <laughs> away, but about eight miles away from uh, from Pride Park, so a little bit a little bit closer than Corey. Um, but yeah, uh, we are the Rams Review Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter, uh, Rams Review One. Facebook is Rams Review Podcast. Uh, we're also on Instagram, um, and. Basically, it's review, reviews, previews, insights, analysis. We we get uh, guests on when fixtures are quiet, which is not the case at the minute, of course. Uh, yeah, so ex-players, and 
one of the things that we quite like doing as well is probably guests that you wouldn't necessarily think of. So we've had like a, an ex-scout on, we've had an f- ex-fitness coach on, we've had an ex-agent on, we've had members of the women's team on. You know, just just a little bit, bits and pieces of different things from what everybody else is putting out there from a Derby content point of view. We all talk to each other. We all, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to have your own spin on the same information. So we try, we tried to do something a little bit different what the others weren't doing. Um, mm. and, you know, two years in, near enough so far, so good. Brilliant. I'd just like to know from Corey's point of view, uh, how did you come to be on this? Well, how did you come to be a Derby fan, first of all? And then how did you come to be on this podcast uh, with Jason? Yeah, so I came, I, I came to become a Derby fan because I hate myself. Uh, no. <laughs> um, so my dad's actually from the Derby area. I've got family there. Um, and, you know, he, he when he was growing up, he played professionally, scouted professionally, he's coached professionally. And so for me, football was always something that was a part of who I was when I grew up. Um, there's a picture of me in an England tracksuit when I'm like two. Uh, and I always thought, oh, I'll play for England and then Sky can put that image up. But unfortunately, I never I'm, I'm coming to the realization I'm never going to play for England um, or America or any team that's any good ever, really. Um, but yeah, so uh, so that was kind of the thing. And my dad had known a couple of the older Derby players um, from back in the back in the day, Ray Straw, the all time appearance holder and uh, Jeff Barracliffe, who was a fullback at the time. And he was really good friends with them. Um, and so I kind of just grew up with stories of Derby and things like that. And then I found out several years, obviously several years later, because I would have been born. But yeah, um, I found out that when my parents first got together, my mom was visiting my dad in England. He took her to a game at the baseball ground. Um, and so my mom actually got to witness Derby beat not Manchester City 5-0 um, um, with Dean Saunders and Mark Wright and that team. So for me, it was like it was always football is always my first you know sport that I love more than anything. But you know, being a Derby fan is just something that I guess just kind of, I guess it didn't come actually. Oddly enough, my dad's a Blackpool fan. So that's, that's a weird, weird thing. That's a weird one. I guess he liked the seaside, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was just always, he was telling me these stories. So I just grew up with these stories of the thing. And then just kind of when you, you know, you watch other teams and whatever, but there's always just like one team you always look out for results for. And it was always Derby. Um, and then getting involved with the podcast, Jason had done, Jason had started the podcast, um, I think it was just after the departure of Frank Lampard and correct Jason. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, just after yeah. the departure of Frank Lampard and I was on Twitter and we I follow a lot of different Derby accounts and um, you know, saw the stuff that he was putting out and I was like, Oh, that's really cool and whatever. And then he put a message out that was like, you know, if you want to get involved, let me know. And I do media stuff for my, for my profession. So I was like, Hmm, media stuff, podcasts talking about Derby. I'd like to do that. And so I kind of, I just hate it when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I kind of, we kind of slid into the DMs a little bit. Um, we kind of hit it off. We hit it off. Um, I was sending him audio clips and I actually came a few weeks later to England to watch some games because I go every year to watch when there's not a mm. pandemic on. And um, we, we met up, we hit it off even more. And I was just sending these clips. Then I had to take a break because I went on a massive rant about Philip Kaku. Um, but then the one benefit, I guess, of the first lockdown was we were just talking about how we could, you know, how can we keep the podcast going with, no football and we thought well let's just do a live episode and i think it was like a three-part episode wasn't it jason i think we talked yeah. for like it was oh, like a nine hour like marathon oh, session of just yeah. talking about everything to do with darby and we split it into like three parts and it was just it was just a lot of fun and like we were really really enjoying it and then it just kind of grew from there it was just kind of like well we we now know that we can do these like live chats on zoom or google meets or you know audio wise whatever 
let's try, you know, let's, let's keep this going. And then that's kind of, kind of how it, the Genesis kind of started from there. And like Jason says, it's been an amazing ride. We've met some amazing people who create contents for the clubs or former and current players. And mm. just a lot of amazing people associated in and around football and with Derby um, that it's just been, it's just been an incredible kind of, kind of journey for us. Brilliant. Well, that's that's been the one of the very few benefits of this pandemic is that it's enabled, it's opened up a world to people that wasn't there before. Like we would have never spoken. I didn't, I didn't have the idea for this podcast until the first lockdown. All sorts of things have happened that uh, you know we can see in a positive light, perhaps. Uh, so I'd just like to talk then briefly about Derby's current situation because when Wolves are in the Championship, Derby were always one of the teams that we used to think. Well, we need to watch out for them. And they always sort of started every season really strongly and then would inevitably drift away bar a couple of seasons where they did make the playoffs in the end. But 22nd at the moment, are you worried about relegation or do you think that Rooney's got um, got enough to get him get the derby out of it, uh, Jason? I think, and I'm not just saying this just because I'm a derby fan, I think 22nd's a little harsh on derby at the moment. I think the thing that you have to look at from a from a derby point of view this season is the start was horrendous. Uh, the first 11 games under, I think it was 11 before he got the sack, was absolutely terrible. One win, uh, nine defeats and one draw, I think it was, something like that. That is just obviously form that's, that's not good enough. Um, since Rooney's come in, I think it's 10 games, four wins, I think it is. Something like four wins, four mm. draws, defeats. That's okay, that's still not, you know, top end form but that transition of turning a team around from getting it wasn't even just the results Derby were poor Derby were not good at all they were getting a hiding near enough every week in, if not scoreline in performance so you know to change that mentality around in, in in a very very short period of time of you know a couple of games before Derby picked up the next victory certainly the first one under Wayne was mm. was great and looking at it from uh, obviously over the festive period where fixtures come thick and fast we've had a We've had a little bit of everything. Um, one you might not be too uh, disappointed with was was beating Birmingham four nil. I did um, see that. Yeah, I was pleased. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we've had a little bit of everything. There's a little bit of a mixed bag. It was obviously it was never going to change straight away overnight. I think there's enough in the squad. I thought there was enough in the squad to start the season. Uh, we predicted a mid, sort of mid to top ten mid table. Didn't think it was going to be much more than that. There were still a few holes in the squad. We needed certain things to go our way. We needed rubs of the green. We got a lot of youth in there that needed to perform. It performed at the back end of last year in the in the lockdown and in Project Restart, and it performed admirably. Unfortunately, those four or five haven't necessarily done that this year, and that's again that pays to where Derby are at the minute. But I think there's more than enough there. I don't know how much of a relegation battle and how long it's going to go on for if, in terms of can Derby, you know, over the next three or four weeks, really pull away and just kind of disappear into mid-table or not. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Maybe January transfer window will will help with that because there are areas of the team that definitely need strength. Mm. But I think when you look at the teams that are expected to be down there, no disrespect meant to you look at I know football's not played on paper, but you do look at the two units, you look at the experience, you look at the players. It would be it would be tough, I think, for Derby to not get for, for Derby to get relegated. I think there yeah. are teams in the division that are worse off than Derby at the minute. 
So, Corey, what has uh, Rooney done then in, the, in his tenure as manager, albeit quite brief? What's he done to turn around the fortunes a little bit? Is it a bit just more than him, his personality and his name? Is it more than that or is he quite a tactician? What is he like as a manager? Yeah, I think there's three main things. I think it's one, Wayne Rooney is not playing anymore, so that's good, uh, which I didn't <laughs> think I'd stay uh, a year on from his debut. But um, the two main things is he's made the team a little bit more experienced and he's tightened up defensively a lot. Um, when Philip Kaku came in and he was under the remit of like playing youngsters because the owner, Mel Morris, had put a lot of money into the Moore Farm Academy and, you know, well, the academy at Moore Farm. And he wanted half the first team players to be made up of academy graduates, which is a fantastic goal. And to Philip Kaku's credit, like he stuck by that. I mean, there was a, a instance last year against West Brom where Derby finished the game with like nine academy graduates on the field. They got murdered, but they played, they finished the game with nine <laughs> academy graduates. And I think, you know, he was trying to stick with that and stick with that and stick with that. And, and you could just see that, you know, you didn't have the right balance on the squad at the time with, with the youth players. And, um, Rooney's come in. He's 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 took a couple of them out of the the firing squad. They don't feature as much as what they had done under Philip Cocky previously, and you know that's led to you know a little bit more experience, a little bit more nous in, in in the championship, which you need. And then, secondly to that is he's tightened it up defensively like tremendously. There was at times where Derby were shipping. I, it was what Blackburn was four 0 Jason, and um, a couple other teams just took Derby to the sword. Um, and he's just tightened it up defensively, so they look a lot more defensively solid. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of the two biggest goals and coupled with the fact that Derby are starting to score, you know, the occasional goal now and then, mm. uh, which helps when you're not conceding that. I think there was a period, there was a, there was a period of time where Derby went through four games and only conceded one shot on goal, which was like tremendous for a yeah. team like Derby who for years had had defensive issues, whether it be from high balls or set pieces or whatever it was, you know, to, to see that kind of stat and they were playing good teams. So, um, that was really positive to see and, you know, those are kind of two main reasons. The other reason is probably the emergence of Colin Kazim Richards, who's a blast from the past kind of name. Darby got him um, out of the blue in, in summer, and Kaku never really played him because he always not fit, you know he's not fit, he's not put up to speed and whatever. But then Rooney kind of put him in, and he's kind of been a, a bit of a catalyst, I would say, to the to you know better performances in a way because he's playing the role that they need him to play as the holdup man. Um, and Tom, just before you know the. In terms of tactics with Wayne Rooney, I, mean, I don't know how much tactics he's doing um, because the, I've thought about this a lot and Jason and myself have talked a lot of, about this just between ourselves, not even on the podcast, but how, how it's got to be difficult for him to be able to do a tactic talk because the games are coming every two days. So you're playing or every three days. So you're playing, right? Then you're recovering with an off day. Then you're coming in to do some sort of training and then you're doing a walkthrough for the next game so tactically i mean we've, we've read articles that he's putting in like 12 and 13 hour days on his he's got a chauffeur that drives him to cheshire because he can't drive right so he's doing like his notes and stuff in the car and whatever um so you know how much though is that is getting into it i don't know i think the the, the extended break would probably help him a little bit more but with the games coming as thick and fast as they are i'm not sure how much tactic stuff he can actually do and I don't think he is necessarily doing any tactics stuff. I think he's just getting back to basics and like we're gonna tighten up the ship here. We're just gonna try a little bit more risk here, but not too much, and we'll just take it from there. From the neutrals perspective, Jason, we've Derby have had two England legends in inverted brackets in the last few years as managers. Then who would you rate higher at this point in their managerial careers? Uh, I suppose it'd be a little bit unfair on Rooney, but if you if you just take you know, a first sort of impression of the two of them, where would you rate Lampard and Rooney? 
it, it is difficult to make the to make the comparison because when Frank came in, there was a big thing. There was some angst amongst the fans going, "Well, why on earth have we hired a, you know a nobody?" But to be honest with you, we'd gone down so many several routes since 2014 uh, mm. failed playoff attempt that it was kind of like it's just another roll of the dice it's something different and that wasn't a problem we me and Corey have discussed and I think most Derby fans would admit that the big thing with Frank Lampard was he made I think it was 11 10 or 11 signings in the transfer window when he came in so he kind of did bring in what he wanted he plucked two out of the youth academy as well so there was a lot of first teamers there that weren't necessarily involved whereas with Wayne of course he's played with all of them near enough for mm. the last 12 months. So he get, he's got to know them a little bit differently. Um, we said at the time when Frank came in, the three major players for that season for Derby were on loan, Harry Wilson, Mason Mount, the guy of Tamori. I mean, obviously Mason Mount, Mount's now of England international, you know, England international mm. Tamori's also done the same. And Wilson, yeah, he does it for Wales. And we actually have mentioned this before me and Corey, you take them three out of that team, how well would Frank would have done with that Derby side? I don't think we'd have been near the playoffs, to be perfectly honest. We were papering over, he was kind of papering over the cracks from the season before. So that's, it's difficult to make that comparison. Whereas Rooney kind of knows what he's working with. This is obviously his first opportunity in January, dependent on obviously COVID now uh, in this country. Uh, that we've got an impending takeover. So we don't know if funds are available. We don't know if we've got to sell before we bring in. I think at the end of January, if after any transfer activity would be would be nicer to be able to predict that between the two. I actually think some of the football is actually better under Wayne than it was under Frank. Mm-hmm. But under Frank, we had those match winners. We had that that little extra bit of quality, which I wouldn't say is lacking from the Derby side, but it's a much more of a team effort. Whereas under Frank, when one of those three didn't perform, eight out of ten Derby didn't pick up a result because they were reliant unfortunately they were reliant on three youngsters that technically mm. weren't the right so um, it's about 50-50 actually if, if yeah I, I think Wayne's got the potential to do a little bit better with Derby actually because he, mm. as I say he's, working, he's been in and around it a little bit more but that's not to say that if Frank hadn't stayed obviously after his calling Chelsea, if what Frank would have been able to achieve with the contacts that he'd have made, it would have been very interesting to see if we'd have got yeah. any of the three back, um, which I think we probably would have done. And mm. then Derby could have been in the Premier League, but <laughs> that's that's uh, that's just hindsight. So yeah. who knows? It does uh, it does seem interesting that throughout Lampard's whole time at Derby, there was always this Chelsea cloud hanging over him. Where it doesn't seem that that's the case with Rooney at the minute. I know that Solskjaer's forever in doubt at Man United, but it doesn't seem as if Rooney's linked with any sort of move away from Derby, which is probably a good thing for you lot at the minute to have a bit of stability. Uh, but at this point in the podcast, then I'd like to have a look at your first kit, your first choice. Now, thankfully. It's both of your choices, so I only have to see it once. So if you show the kit, Jason, and then Corey, you can talk us through why this kit's so special to you both. So this is, it's actually an away one, but well, it's the alternative third version of Frank Lampard's season at Derby County. Um, and I actually got it when Wayne Rooney signed, so he had 32 on his shirt at Derby, so I had 32 on the back of this. It's not because of that, it's actually, I brought this for my birthday and I was 32 at the time. 
and Straw is my surname. So people think it's because of Wayne Rooney. It's actually not. Um, Corey will go on to say why we love this kit, but there are mm. on and off the field reasons. I love it because of the design. I know Corey loves it because of the design, but for me personally, it was obviously because of everything that season was as a Derby fan under Frank, the whole circus media circus mm. of it. Um, and Derby's first kit and second kit are normally boring anyway. I like the alternative ones. There's not a lot of variation, is there, on plain white that you can have? Yeah. <laughs> so, not Corey, really. why uh, why do you like this kit then? Because it was really difficult to get a hold of. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I actually flew into England and went to the club shop because my hotel was near there, and I thought, I'm going to get the black kit. And I like texted Jason, and I was like, I'm going to go get the black kit. He's like, great choice. I'm going to get one or whatever. And so I showed it to the club shop, and they were like, well, and this was this was like September, and they were like, well, we don't have any of the black kit. And it's just a bizarre thing for me, I guess, because I've never mm. walked to a sports store where they're like, I want a Baltimore Ravens jersey. And they're like, you're not going to get one until, you know, March. And I was like, so when are you going to get them? And she's like, Christmas. And I was like, but it's September. And she's like, well, yeah, it looks really good. I was like, I know it looks good because I want one. That's that's why. Um, but yeah, it was devilishly difficult to get. And so I ended up getting one. But I think it's just the memories of, of the thing. And I think the design of the zebra sleeves was like a lot different. Uh, it's the exact inverse of the home kit of that season. And it was just really cool. Um, the the stripes are supposed to mimic the um, uh, pillars coming off of Pride Park Stadium and whatever. And I just think it was just a super cool design. And I'm a sucker for a black Derby kit because the problem with wearing a white Derby shirt is one, it's mostly boring. And two, like if you're eating a hot dog or you're eating a piece of pizza and you spill ketchup <laughs> on it, like it, you, you can't get the stain. I was like, I try to never get a white Derby shirt because it's like, you're always just scared you're going to get a mark on it and you pay like 50, 60 quid for them. But you're like, Oh, Christ, I just get like a colored one, but just the, the black was like, anytime Darby's in a black kit, I'm just a sucker for that. And um, just the design looked really cool with the zebra sleeves. So the 2019 season, 18, 19 season that they wore that kit for one of the games of the year, 2019 uh, was the playoff second leg. I chose to go to the first leg. I actually traveled up to Derby and watched the first leg. I definitely chose the wrong leg to go to. Yeah. But, but that second leg, what a game! Did you, did you manage to go, or even if you didn't, what was your what was that game like, Jason? No, I didn't. I didn't go because I didn't think we had a cat in else chance to do. It. <laughs> and uh, Leeds being um, Leeds, we're charging Derby about forty-seven quid for a ticket. So I decided against that one with a wife and four kids. Forty-seven pound doesn't come uh, doesn't come available very often. But I, obviously, I was at the first leg. And Derby were poor, and we didn't. We we actually thought, you know, well, that's it, gone. We're bottled. It's it. It's done. Um, I know a couple of people who did go. I stayed at home. Uh, a few of the we've there's about ten of us that have got season to, uh, together. We all said I would go into the pub to watch it. Well, no, no. There was just no optimism at all. Which mm. you know, under that season, looking back at it, there was a few times in that season where strange things happened and we, we probably should have predicted that something was going to happen um but you know a lot of gods kind of shone down on us that day and i remember watching the first half at home and it was like one we were like i was my, my first thought at half time was we're in this game and i it, it, we were one nil down i think or one one no jack merritt just thought to make it one one but obviously we're still two one down on the tie and there was just something about me that when we're in this game and i don't know why and I remember turning around to my wife and I was going, right, I'm just going to go down to the pub to watch the second half. Uh, <laughs> I can't not. I've got this inkling. I'm going to have to go. Um, yeah, okay then. So off I went. 
And of course, then we get the second goal and it's just absolutely pandemonium. And I I was in there with a friend of mine and as we scored, I'd, I'd just nipped outside uh, for a bit of fresh air and then Leeds <laughs> scored. And I came back in um, and then obviously five minutes later, Derby score again. I'm like, right. And then I was just about to go outside and he went, you're going nowhere, mate. You're sitting there. <laughs> go out, Leeds seem to score. I'm like, yeah, okay. Then, And then just, you know, the jubilation of it was, it didn't sink in what Derby had done to me. I mean, obviously I was lucky enough to go uh, when we got to Wembley in 2014, when we got to the final, the second mm. leg was home and we'd already won at Brighton um, and we beat Brighton 5-1 at Pride Park. And then obviously there was the, the pitch invasion and, uh, you know, everything about that. That was a huge celebration. But then obviously when the away leg second and you, obviously you're not at the game or anything like that, it's like, right, I'm going to have to book my tickets to Wembley now. So, you know, I was about, you know, one in the morning, I'm looking for hotels in London. I'm looking for train tickets. I'm looking, you know, I'm looking at everything, waiting for the any announcement and, and things like that. And it was, it was, a, it was such a strange, such a surreal thing because that performance, anybody can work. It was 45 minutes of football that I would say summed up Frank Lampard at Derby massively. Mm. It was highs, lows, things you just that were unexpected and that was Frank's Frank's tenure at Derby just things out of the extra, extraordinary really I suppose so Corey obviously with the momentum at the end of that Leeds semi-final was it any doubt in your mind that you would lose the player final then against Villa or did you still have some doubt I think with Derby you always have doubt Tom uh <laughs> no I think I think Jason summed it up perfectly. That game summed up Frank Lampard. And I think the whole run to get into the playoffs was like just so magical. And you kind of had a, a strange expect not a strange expectation, but a strange inkling as a Derby fan. Like, is this is this the year? Because there were weird things happening and weird point swings, and like we squeaked Derby had squeaked into the playoffs, and then to do what they did against Leeds was just I mean, when you look at football as a whole and you think about like Germany, Brazil, World Cup semifinals, like five one. And, you know, Leeds and, uh, sorry, Aston Villa, Liverpool, 7-2. Like, there's these results that just pop out that you're like, I'll never witness this again. And Leeds was one of them. So I don't think, I think in a way, in the back of my mind, I kind of was like, this is this is kind of the year for Derby um, to go up. But then what happened in the playoff final happened. And I don't, and I think at the end of the day, the result wasn't as devastating as the way I had felt in 2014 in the playoff with Zamora's last minute winner. Like, you could clearly see Derby were being outplayed for majority of the match. And so you were like, okay, you know, it's over, you know, it's over, but it wasn't the gut punch that the previous, that the previous ones was. So for me, like going into the game, yeah, I thought, yeah, Derby will go up. But then when you start seeing the game and you watch how the game goes and you're studying it, you're kind of like, yeah, Villa's in the driving seat here. And they, they probably were the best team um, on, on the day and they deserve to go up and they're doing amazing now in, in, in the premier league. So you know, Derby's still where they where they are, but throughout the course of the game, the 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 pair the the expectation shifted greatly. Mm. Were you disappointed then, Jason, in your sort of in the way that you turned up for that player final? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Very similar to what Corey said. I, for me personally, I went Villa were the favourites. Villa Villa had gone on something like a what fifteen game unbeaten run and won both yeah. of those. They were an unstoppable train. I mean, I, I, obviously, I caught the semi-finals against West Brom, 
I didn't actually think they played all that well. And I thought West Brom were actually probably over the two legs, possibly a little bit unlucky. Mm. But at the end of the day, they were, they were just a steam train and it was going to take something huge for Derby to stop them. Eight weeks previous to that playoff final, we played Villa at Villa Park and got absolutely played off the field and lost 5-0. So there was no, for me personally, we were like, enjoy the occasion. But like Corey said, there was there was so many things that season that just slipped into place. We'd beaten Man United in the cup. We'd beaten Chelsea. Well, we nearly beat Chelsea in the cup. We'd snuck in there. There was just some, there was something about it. It was almost that magical fairy, fairy tale thing that... Mm. Wouldn't it just be typical Derby County to have tried to throw money at it, being the best team in the league and not gone up in 2014? Not, you know, just to do it a different way. Mm. But then actually in the game itself, it come very apparent uh, that Villa were the better side for the majority of the game. Derby put up a bit of a fight towards the end and had it gone on for another 10 minutes, who knows, but football's 90, not 100. So... You know, but Corey was right. I walked away from that game thinking, oh, what a shame that was. Mm. But kind of expecting then the next season to be built on. And unfortunately, Derby took some huge, huge backward steps. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, well, let's t- carry on talking about the playoffs. But let's rewind to 2007. Wolves were also in that playoffs. We lost to the eventual runners-up. I can't remember who they were. But um, Stephen Pearson... Uh, a name that lives long in Wolves fans' memory for his goal uh, on that day, the first playoff final goal in the championship in uh, the new Wembley. Um, but then, of course, the monstrosity of the following season. For fans of our sort of era, this is what Derby County is in our heads, is this one terrible, terrible season, one win all season against Newcastle. But again, another Wolves connection, Kenny Miller scored the goal in that game. Uh, a goal difference of minus 69 and only 11 points throughout the season loads of records broken for all the wrong reasons is this what you meant at the beginning of the podcast Corey when you said you hate yourself was this the peak of poorness at Derby uh yeah yeah I think it was I think it was it was just it was just super poor and it was just bizarre I mean there were some really strange things that season I remember um they played Liverpool and Darren Moore ended up hitting his own defender and they both hit each other and then they fell opposite. So Fernando Torres like ran in between it with the ball <laughs> and scored. Like there's just these like crazy, like the team was just so, so nuts. I do remember though, I liked the kits that season and the best kit was like the yellow alternate third kit that Darby got the win against Newcastle in. And they only made like a limited edition, like 1500 or something kits to sell. Mm. Um, And like we had Giles Barnes that season. And so, yeah, it was, it was just, it was just peak crapness. I mean, it really was <laughs> like, they were just so bad. And then they made like Darby made some very strange, like rushed signings in the, in the transfer window. And oddly enough, two Americans actually paid for Darby that season, Benny Fellhaber and Eddie Lewis. And the best thing I can say about Eddie Lewis is, well, the one memorable thing at Darby was he once got a match rating of one in a game <laughs> out of 10. Wow. And I like, I don't know how you get a one out of 10. Like I figure like even I was what? 13 at the time no 16 at the time and i was like i'm pretty sure i could get a match rating of better than better than (laughs) one if i just like just stood in the corner flag and did nothing like i'd be fine um so yeah it was just it was just peak and i think that that hung over darby that hung over darby for Mm. a long time to to just get it right and it carried into that championship season and for a long time, the scars are still there for a lot of fans. So in a way it's kind of like, yeah, if we go up during the, if Darby go up over the playoffs, like 
are the stars, are the scars still going to be there for the club and the fan base? If, cause it's obviously a different set of playing staff, but is it still going to be there when they go up next time? And then what's yeah. that going to be like mental fragility wise? Like it's just very bizarre. Was there any enjoyment, any highlights in that season, Jason? I assume you were a season ticket holder at the time. Was there anything that from that season that stands out? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I mean, yes, yeah, there was. Don't get me wrong, you got to go to the places, I mean, I personally didn't, but, you know, fans got to go to Old Trafford and you know, the New Emirates. I actually did go to the New Emirates. But mm. uh, it was, I think it became abundantly clear very quickly that Derby were so far out of the depth. I think actually, if Derby had put up a bit more of a fight, it would it could have actually been worse for fans. I think fans realised straight away that oh wow. I mean, me personally, I, I was a season ticket the year before. I missed two games all season. I missed the playoff final. <laughs> I didn't actually get a ticket. Surprise! I've been to three Wembley finals, and um, yeah, anyway, you're the, you're the curse. <laughs> That must be. Um, and I'd, I'd even gone to Southampton in the semi-final. Uh, I, I set off at three in the morning to get down there. I, I you know, because it was a dinner time kickoff. I went to mm. I went to those. I think the only game I missed was like a Norwich on a Tuesday night away. It was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, that team wasn't good enough to go up. Actually, um, we had a knack of just grinding out results. I think, you know, we kept something like seventeen clean sheets that season, and there was just a knack of the way. It, the way to win and unfortunately there was a lot going off kind of like behind the scenes the manager Billy Davis at the time wasn't liked by a lot of the hierarchy at the club the club were in terms of ownership were an absolute joke uh, they were going they were being ripped off big time by some strange people who were involved with Derby at the time um, there was no real transfer fund available for a team you know that was going up and so then we resorted to signing 33 plus age players uh, to give them one last hurrah as as a hope to keep us in there. And yeah, I remember the first game at home against Portsmouth. We drew two two, and we actually played all right. And obviously the Newcastle game that was a that was a great game. Mm. Uh, Derby played all right, but it it became clear very very quickly that it wasn't going to be great. So the fans kind of did get the impression that well we're certainly not going to be here next year who knows obviously what the future holds let's mm. let's enjoy it and it became a carnival atmosphere i don't think many of us were actually paying attention to what was happening on the pit <laughs> but in terms of going you know having the home games watching the watching the quality i remember man united coming to prior park and watching cristiano ronaldo tear derby apart and it was it was great to watch um and then the away days were just such an occasion every away game was sold out it was just an occasion for the fans, and of course, mm. since then we've never been we've never been back. So I hope all them fans that did go uh, enjoyed it enough because mm. it's been fifteen near enough fifteen long years since we've last done it. Yeah, that's crazy to think. I mean, for for me as well, following football from the mid nineties, I suppose Derby were a fairly decent Premier League team. They were sort of middle of the road, tenth. Mm. 12th every sort of season they'd be okay they had a couple of really good players as well Fabrizio Ravanelli I remember playing Dean Surridge we signed from uh, from you as well some really really good players over the years but they just seem to have been lost in the wilderness but one thing I want to ask you before we go into the because this podcast has blown my format out of the window so we'll just do all the derby chat now and then we'll we'll do through the, the other things later on so the Brian Clough trophy something that has always fascinated um neutral fans 
obviously it means a lot to Nottingham Forest fans, famously winning two European Cups, but to Derby fans, what kind of legacy has he left? And uh, I'll ask Corey first. I mean, he's, he's won a championship at Derby and I just think that the way he was able to play football was kind of the catalyst to obviously getting the Leeds job and then going on to Forest. So it kind of started off, obviously started um, Hartlepool and whatever, but that was kind of the first big job for for, for Brian. Um, and then to, to do what he did at Derby, win a championship and then um, obviously went to Leeds where it ne didn't necessarily work out so well. And then onto Forest, I think it's just, the catalyst for that. But I also think that, mm. you know, Brian Clough, just as a man, whether he supported, whether he was Nottingham Forest coach or Derby coach or at Hartley Puller at Leeds, like he's just an amazing football manager and probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest in history for what he was able to do. I mean, look at it from a Forest perspective. Um, they won back-to-back -back European Cups being a provincial, not, they, mm. a, not a provincial town in the negative sense, but they're not a major, it's not the size of Birmingham. It's not the size of London. And they were able to go off and conquer Europe, not once, but twice with the team that they had. And and I think with a lot of the signings that he made and, and the innovations that he made within the game, like English football wouldn't be what it was without him. And and the, the, the trophy is really special. Um, and I just think from a footballing perspective, I mean, he he's an absolute idol and an absolute genius of a manager. I mean, the, the things he said and the way he was able to, to get some of the players – um, to perform above the levels that they would have normally performed at um, was just mm -hmm. phenomenal. And I can't say enough good things about him. And whether it was at Derby or it was it at Forest, we're not going to count Leeds because nobody likes Leeds, but no. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, he's just, he's just a phenomenal football manager, not only for Derby, not only for Forest, but for the game as a whole. And I think it's special that there's this trophy named after him. And it's special mm -hmm. that the A52 is named after Brian Clough as well. Um, it just gives you a real sense of the passion in the area as well for, for football and, and for the man himself and the love that that area have for him. And Jason might be able to speak a little bit better about this as well, but the um, the East Midlands football rivalry is something that often gets overlooked because, the, well, it's a really fierce rivalry between all the teams in the East Midlands. Like, nobody was happy in the East Midlands when Leicester won the league, apart from the Leicester fans. I imagine it's the same with uh, Forest and Derby as well. So there's no respect, despite there being, you know, this trophy, there's no respect between Forest and Derby fans, is there? Really? Um, I mean, you're quite right. I think it is one that kind of gets overlooked when, you know, you see them all over social media or whatever, the, the, the five top Derbys in the country. And Derby and Forest always never really gets gets a mention, but I, I think it's huge. I, I mean, mm. it would. it's not the same as when both teams were in the Premier League in the early, uh, you know, in the mid nineties. I remember one of my first games at, at Pride Park was Forest uh, in 98 and uh, it was actually on my birthday. So, you know, but that was just, it was huge. Um, and obviously it's, I mean, for both sides really over the last 15, 20 years, because there's been so much up and down, obviously Forest dropping into league one was, was laughable. Um, really, from a Derby perspective, but then of course the same season that they got relegated, Derby finished bottom of the Premier League, and yeah. it's kind of like, you can't then go, ah, but we're in the Premier League because technically we we weren't in the Premier League because we we, mm. we were never a Premier League side. So you know it's that kind of it, it, there's a huge rivalry. It's huge, um, and then obviously kind of really over the last five six years, Derby have had the better of it up until just recently. I think Forrester starting to turn a, a slight corner other than obviously this year but let's face it both sides aren't exactly doing great at the minute mm. it's it's huge it's it's the first fixture you look at 
Um, it's the it's always the one that you look for. It's, there's no other fixture like it. I mean, Leeds obviously comes close for Derby, um, but Lee the the fixture against Forest. I don't. Me personally, there's there's nothing more to it. I I'd rather watch Derby against Forest every week because yeah. it's it's not nice come kickoff when you know the adrenaline's pumping. But once you're in there and no matter if you're at Pride Park or if you're at the City Ground, when there's thirty thousand fans of whatever mm. persuasions there, that atmosphere is just—it's—it's it's mind-blowing. It's electric. I've been to other grounds. You know, I've, I've been to the Emirates. I've, I've you know, I've, I've been to Wolves. I've been where I've been pretty much most grounds up and down the country, and and seen big crowds and seen big atmospheres. But for me personally, I don't know if it's because I'm attached to Derby, but you know, that to me is just a whole other level when we play when we play Forest and that that trophy is just it's just something it, it just adds that extra 5% to, mm. to the fixture if there wasn't anything else that it needed um, and at the minute I think Forrest have held it for about the last four years so it's about time that Derby got it back yeah yeah well I, I mean we've had nine years now without a black country Derby against the Albion and the fact that it's going to go ahead in a week's time with no fans there, I can't imagine. I mean, you must've had a Derby now with Derby during this closed seat, you know, with the club behind closed doors. What was that like? It must've been painful for both of you. It was, uh, we, it was about six weeks ago, I think something like that. It was about early, uh, late to late October. I think it was something like that. Um, and obviously last season, terms of the way that Forrest ended up losing out in the playoffs on the final day was hilarious, by the way, but uh, from a Derby point of view. And then to watch them kind of come back down to reality, I suppose, is it's all banter, but it's come back down to reality, yeah. being being down towards Derby. And then Derby actually should have won the game. Uh, they outplayed Forrest for about 70 minutes, but just couldn't, couldn't in the end get to... In fact, we did score and it was given offside when it wasn't, but you know, <sighs> probably proper officials we might have won the game but um it was weird it was weird but as soon as the whistle blew it was a right this is a you know that red against white it is derby against forest for me personally it was still it was still big I, um yeah if forest had won it it probably wouldn't have mattered too much to me but you know because derby mm. actually played well in the game it did feel a bit more of a did feel a bit more of a derby um but yeah i mean Let's face it, football without fans is not great. But when those special occasions come and you just think to yourself, oh, I would have been there. Um, yeah. yeah, it just, it it does niggle at you a little bit more, I think, to be honest. Couldn't agree more. Right, let's, let's move on to the next part of the show, at last. <laughs> uh, and let's give Corey the chance to talk us through this picture. So his favourite sporting picture of himself and we've had lots and lots of American football talk on this podcast. I'm not, not an American football fan myself. Uh, so talk us through this moment and why it's so special to you, Corey. Yeah, so for me, I'm the guy sitting in the stands uh, in this picture. No, I'm just kidding. I'm the, I'm the kicker. <laughs> uh, and I actually have my jersey with me here. But this, uh, this picture is really special because um, this was the first game I played coming back after um, nine months out with a knee injury. I had just looked at my knee playing actually a soccer game uh, was not a good idea during football season. Um, and I had missed, I had missed the season, um, which was just very difficult because I loved doing it and being a part of, of the, the, the George Mason football team. And so this was my first um, ability to come on and, and, and uh, make my first home appearance in 
over a year. So it was really special to me that I could go on and we had scored a touchdown. So I was just making the, the extra kick afterward, which was always a harrowing experience that sometimes they didn't right. do in a lot of time. But. Were you worried as well? So my thought there, when you talk about your knee being dislocated, I don't know if you remember the episode of the Simpsons where the kicker's leg falls off and ends up just tipping it over the top of the bar. Was there yeah. any, what was it like coming back from an injury like that? Cause we talk about yeah. professionals doing it all the time, but you know, for a normal person, we really were cautious and worried. I think that's the first time Tom someone's ever called me normal. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think for me, I think it was it was just it was such a long process, and like it had happened, and obviously it was not supposed to happen. The keeper came out and just decided to dive at my legs instead of slide mm. on out for the ball, and I ended up in hospital, and they couldn't put the knee back in because they had to bend the leg a certain way, and they didn't do it, oh. and then you're laying in the bed and they go, well, maybe you've torn your ACL. Maybe you've torn your ligaments. Maybe you like broke your leg and all these things are coming on. And it's like 1130 at night. You still got the adrenaline coming from the game. And so, you know, we settled, it settled down. And I know that, you know, I had rested for about a week after that week, 10 days after that, everything settled down. I went for some scans and then we figured out an action plan. I sat down with the trainer of the football um, team and just said, you know, like, how are we going to fix this? Like, how are we going to, get back and whatever. And for me, there was never like a time where it was like, okay, I have to get back. I have to, I mean, they said, you know, we can operate and you could be back in four or five weeks, but there was no reason for me to do that at the time. You don't need a necessary operation if it's going to heal on its own. So um, it was just a long time out, long time coming. And it took a lot of hard work to get back to that level. And mm. once, once the knee started functioning again, you know, it was like you started to kick for the first time in practice and you have to basically relearn it because you hadn't been doing it for such a long time or whatever. And so mm. um, to come back and, and to do that was, was really special. And like my parents were in the crowd um, and I had some of my friends there and stuff like that. And they kind of been known what I've been through on this journey and just went straight over and asked the, went over straight to the trainer and just gave him a hug and just said, you know, thank you because yeah. he spent time and he spent, I mean, I was working on it. I was getting rehab two hours a day, every day for about nine months. So mm. It was, it was really, really special. And my, my holder actually there, he knew that I had had the injury. So he gave me a big hug too. So it was really, really nice to, to get that kind of thing going back. And it's just a really good memory. Brilliant. Just talk us uh, through briefly, because it's difficult for British people to understand really the sort of level of college football. I mean, there's nothing like it here. We don't have thousands of people coming to watch it. What's it like? Yeah. Um, so I, there's different levels of college football. Like there are essentially tiers in the English game, right? So you've got division one, which is like the premier league. And I'm basically playing at a low league two slash high non-league one division kind of um, school for what we were performing at. We were playing um, a lot of different teams from that were like the reserves of the United States Naval Academy, which is a division one team. So we played their reserves. We played a, a team that was actually deaf um, and slash hard of hearing. Uh, which oh, was wow. interesting. They d completely destroyed us. It was, the, <laughs> yeah, we got, we got completely murdered. Um, uh, and we went to like a lot of strange places with trade schools and things like that, that played these different things. So, you know, we had a couple hundred people at our games um, and we ended up doing really well that season. And we ended up actually winning a, winning a trophy, which was fantastic. So I was able to, to lift the cup on my last game, which was, which was special for being a part of that group for three and a half years. Wow. Very good. Very special. And uh, Jason, let's have a look at this picture of you then, which looks a bit, uh, <laughs> I 
well, I don't know the right word to use it. Were you supposed to be there? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, yes and no. Uh, that is uh, the playoff semi-final in 2014 at home uh, against Brighton after we'd won pitch invasion. Um, it's not the first time I've been on the pitch. I've been on pitch invasions for staying up on the last day of the championship season a couple <laughs> of times, uh, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, and those ones are, you know, stay off the pitch, blah, 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 blah. This one, none of that. They knew, they knew we were, were about 3-0 up and the tie was gone after about 25 minutes. They knew the fans were coming on and yeah. you just saw the stewards kind of move out of the way. Um, so yeah, that's, that is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not hugely sporty. I used to play football, but um, I got a very similar knee injury to Corey when I was about 17, which cut me out of that. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, most people wouldn't class it as a sport, um, but in terms of me in a, in a sporting context, and I haven't sent you the picture because I've got it, um, is me and my very old now, um, under 18s, which is actually broken, under 18s, <sighs> Um, trophy for uh, playing pool. So I was Derbyshire uh, and that one, uh, Derbyshire under 18s champion um, at the age of 18, which is a long time ago now. Mm. Um, <laughs> I've still got them. So yeah, in, in, like, in terms of sporting context, that's that's more me. But yeah, that picture holds holds a lot in uh, a lot of memories for mm. for me. Well, tell us about your pool then. So uh, I have, I've got a friend who's you know in leagues and stuff around here, and you know he's very very impressive. When you try and play against him, uh, just casually in the pub, he will clean up. You won't have, even have a shot. Is it the same when we play against you? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it depends. I, I find it very very difficult to switch on the competitiveness against friends. Right. I've, I've got. I can. I can actually separate the two. Um, apart from a couple of my friends who I, I take serious, but mm. because they can actually, you know, they're, they're pretty good at the game as well. But in terms of just to practice and stuff like that, I find it really, really difficult to to practice against people and play to a level that I know I kind of need to, to compete in the leagues and stuff like that. What I enter, it's not until, you know, game day, game face, that's, that's when I can, I can perform. So um, at the minute I'm, I'm sat in the garage, which I've got a pool table in um, that I practice on. Not too much, but at the moment, but I normally do. Mm. Um, when I when I used to practice for major tournaments when I was younger, it was about six to seven hours practice a day, as and when I could. Uh, fitting it uh, certainly when I was you know doing really well, fitting it in and around mm. GCSEs and A levels and that kind of thing was was difficult. So if you didn't find me in school, I was in the pool hall. <laughs> that was before I got a table. Um, as soon as I got my own house, I got my own table. Um, don't necessarily play on it as much as I need to um, in terms of getting up to that same standard. And that's probably why I've dropped down the standards uh, over the last few years. But I play it a lot more now for just for just enjoyment, really. Mm. And I, I find it quite funny when you walk into a pub and somebody puts you know the 50 pence down and go, do you fancy a game? Yeah, OK, then. Uh, do you want a fiver on it? Yeah, go on then. And I play rubbish for like two games and they think that they're cleaning up. And then it's a double or quits. Go on, let's just have one more. And I absolutely hammer them. And I just walk <laughs> away. And I'm, I wouldn't call it a hustle, but uh, it's very close. <laughs> yeah. 
Brilliant. Right, so let's move on to the final part of the show then. I don't know if Corey's got anything to show us at this point as well, but I asked for a mystery piece of memorabilia. You have, Corey. Right, let's start with Corey then. Let's have a look at what you've got as your mystery oh, piece mystery of memorabilia. Piece of memorabilia. I've actually got, so one is I've got this DC United shirt. Oh, wow. So this is a this is a um, official ninth, uh, 1998 DC United shirt, right, with the old badge. They've had three versions of the badge. This is a second of three. And this mm. is really actually special because I actually led the team out um, I actually led DC United out in a, I guess it's the CONCACAF Champions League now oh, wow. uh, against a, a Honduran team called CD Olympia. Mm-hmm. Um, so they put me on this and I was like eight. So it's like a adult large. So it swamped me. And they were playing this game in like November and it was freezing cold. So we walk out. I, I had a friend that worked for, for DC United. So um He's gonna. We're gonna lead the team out because I was supposed to lead him out against Bayer Leverkusen, but I couldn't get. I couldn't get away from school to go and do that. So that ended up falling through. So I ended up doing it against CD Olympia, and they give me the kit, and I walk in, and I go into the dressing room and whatever, and they're like, okay, you lead the team. So I'm a little mascot guy, and I'm standing there with DC United captain Chris Albright, and so we go walk out, and I've got a tracksuit on, and I wanted to go out in black shorts and black socks because I was like, I want to look just like the team. This is awesome. And then I stepped out like before we stepped out onto the field and it was freezing cold. And I just put a tracksuit on. I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> so I walked down the tracksuit, but I had this short sleeve shirt on and I was freezing, absolutely freezing. And so we walk out and RFK um, in DC is just filled with people. Like, and I'm at the, I'm at the top of the team and I'm standing next to Chris Albright, the captain and this guy, Richie Williams and Richie Williams was like five foot two. Right. Like waste of time, but he was like five foot two. He was playing professional soccer at the time. And he turns down the thing and he goes, oh, look at that guy. He's freezing. And then I just remember Chris Albright turning to go, just shut up, Richie. He goes, okay. <laughs> and he just like gets back in his line and just shuts up. Um, so, yeah, that was that was a pretty cool experience. And um, another really cool one that I have, piece of memorabilia, I don't actually have it with me because it's packed away. Um, but I have um, goalkeeper gloves uh, from Blackburn Rovers, um, from um, Alan Kelly Jr. and Brad Friedel. Oh, and wow. they came to D.C. to play um a friendly against dc united and we my dad was good friends with the irish goalkeeper alan kelly who's got the stand named after him at preston mm-hmm. um so we knew we knew alan he was a family friend so we connected with alan jr and he was like yeah so i got to go to blackburn rovers training and i was like hanging out with the goalkeepers and i think i was like 12 at the time and so we walk out and i'm with the team i i, I walk around and i'm walking behind the goal and in America, we couldn't really get as many games as what we can get now. So we would, we would be basically restricted to like one Scottish game a week on this random channel that might or might not come in. So we'd always make a time, like me and my parents would always make a time to watch this. And I think back now, and I'm pretty sure it was like the same game repeated week after week, but you didn't know. So, <laughs> watched it. so I'm a, I like Celtic at the time because they had Henrik Larson and all those like that great generation. Mm. But one player I liked from Rangers was Lorenzo Amoruso. Like he was just super cool. Like he's just long hair and he was just awesome. And I remember I was walking behind the goal at RFK and Amoruso was taking free kicks and like, he just was t- put him in up to upper 90 in the top bin. And I remember being behind the goal and I just shouted, Hey, I've seen you on TV. And he went, <laughs> yeah. And I waved and I just thought it was so cool. Cause it was like my first experience, like meeting someone I had seen on TV. It was like super <laughs> nice. And then they ended up giving me um, a game worn signed shirt and some, some gloves and stuff. So, you know, eventually I'm going to get hanging on these walls over here so yeah. I can, so I can display it. But those are, those are some really great memories for me. 
very cool story. Uh, Jason, let's have a look at your mystery piece of memorabilia then and the story behind it, please. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it's not necessarily a mystery thing, but it is a signed selection of Derby mm. County pictures from, I believe, 1999. Um, and just, a, I've got uh, Mark Poon's signature on here. I've got uh, Jim Smith, who was the manager at the time. Um, and I've had people question that this is authentic. And maybe when I tell you the story, you won't believe how I, I came across this. But the fact that Jim Smith's is actually in Biro and everybody else's is in, uh, mm. in Penn. I think would say that that might actually be true. But a lot of Chris Rigger, I've got Danny Higginbottom, I've got Bayano, I've got Arani, I've got Carbonari, I've got Stimak, I've got quite a few on there. Um, basically, Derby's new training ground was being built. And at the time, my dad uh, put the electrics into the place. Oh, right. And yeah, the story goes, they were digging out and there was a few people uh, there and the players were there. They were kind of training on the same place, but like the the main changing rooms and things like that hadn't been hadn't been built yet. So my dad was there, and he he was looking for the for, for a toilet. Strangely <laughs> enough, uh, and just so happened to walk into the into the changing rooms where all the players were getting uh, getting changed. And obviously, somebody's looking at him, going, "You're you're all right, you know, do, do you need anything?" <laughs> uh, but apparently, as the as the legend goes, because uh, I was only young, uh, they were all very accommodated. And uh, my dad's, I think it was, I can't remember if it was his uncle or my granddad or something like that, knew one of the main backroom staff at Derby, went back years. Um, and so they spoke and they, and he said, obviously, oh, my lad's really into Derby County. Is there any chance, you know, I can get some uh, something signed or anything like that? And apparently he went, oh, I'll do better than that. So obviously he got it, he got it all signed. Um, and then he kind of went missing and so my dad's working away and thinking oh they've just basically you know he'd gone back to work and oh just being ignored and actually what had happened because jim smith wasn't actually there he was actually at pride park uh, in his office they'd actually driven it to the stadium to get him to no. sign it bring it back to give it me um no as the story goes so that is something that i've had yeah from, since 1999 so a while <laughs> yeah, brilliant and that's not something you can get a certificate of authenticity for can you, are you going to get a jim not smith really. to sign on the back this is definitely me yeah that's it but i mean I, I can i don't know how else you'd have got hold of it so i can only presume it's real uh it's yeah. on top county headed paper and you know the dates on there and you know that kind of thing so i can only presume um it's pretty real and then obviously mm. i got it and everything like that and i must admit it's a scrumpled up piece of paper so i would presume <laughs> as soon as i got it it went in a frame so it's not as if it's been copied or anything like that it is genuine no. see the ink marks on it um so I i'm going with it's real and i won't let anybody tell me any different brilliant well thank you very much to the pair of you it's been lovely to chat to you. This has definitely been the longest podcast that uh, I've had so far on this series. So I really appreciate both of you coming on. Corey, thank you for coming on from all the way from Washington uh, and Jason from just up the road in Derby. But if you want to go and check them out, uh, Rams Review 1 on Twitter. The Rams Review uh, is the podcast. Uh, is it available on all platforms, boys? As far as I know. Yeah. yeah, as far as you know. So great. So don't forget to go and check them out. Uh, 
thank you everybody who's listened to this podcast uh, really appreciate it and share it to everybody uh, that you know that you think will enjoy and we'll be back in the future we have got a forest fan coming up uh, unfortunately boys so there's a bit of a, a clash there <laughs> but um <laughs> uh, but yes thank you very much again for coming on and thank you for listening we'll see you all again in the near future <laughs>